Welcome to 900 Ackland Avenue. This is the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. What follows is the service from April 24th, 2022. Thank you and God bless. Oh, wait. 
Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, we praise you today. We praise you with our hearts and our minds, with our words and our actions. We praise you for your acts of power, and we praise you for all the ways that you care for us. We praise you and thank you for this congregation, for the families represented here, for all the children represented here. We thank you for the leadership and guidance of represented in this church. We praise you for the new families in our congregation. We praise you for the Nichols and their new baby. We praise you for the upcoming graduates and the, the hard work and the love that's represented in the children of this congregation. We pray for the refugees around the world. We pray for those in Ukraine. We pray for those leaders at the local, state, and national level. We see how you care for us. We thank you for caring for us, and we praise you for all that you do. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. 360, 360. Jesus, Savior, pilot me over life's tempestuous sea, unknown waves before me roll, hiding rock and treasure shore, guard and compass came from thee, Jesus said, your pilot me, as a Guide me, O oh, the great Jehovah. 
20. Gospel of John, chapter 20. We're going to read 19 through 31. And then in the bold, we have the words of Thomas, if you want to join with me for that. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. Disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Together, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my fingers where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thank you. A week later, disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him together, My Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many of the signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. An amazing realization for them to encounter the risen Jesus, spend time with him. And perhaps like some of you on Easter Sunday, we were like, I don't know about the same level of fervor as others. Thomas is walking around saying, you got to see him, but I haven't gotten to see him yet. So I understand that you believe because you saw him. But I mean, cut me some slack here. I haven't seen him yet. If I see him, I'll believe. And Jesus gives him that opportunity and comes to him. And he can see the hands. He can see the side. He can see the wounds of the crucifixion. He can see that Jesus is risen. And he says, my Lord and my God. It's a beautiful passage. So many times in my time here at Akron, we've gone through this passage, verse by verse. It's such a beautiful passage. But I confess, I'm not proud of this. This passage always invokes jealousy in me. Because I'm jealous I didn't get their experience. Because I think, I get why Thomas did what he did. You got to see him. I didn't get to see him. I want to see him too. If I see him, then I'll believe. And then he does get to see him and believe. And it's as if Jesus anticipates our jealousy because he says to Thomas, Blessed are you because you have seen and now believe, but blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet believe. And Jesus, within the text, gives us a shout out and says we are blessed when we believe even if we have not yet seen. This Sunday and next, I want to take two weeks. Next Sunday, the scripture is Jesus' interaction with Peter after the denial when it says he kind of reaffirms Peter and Peter restores Peter. We're going to talk about that. And in these two weeks and in these two scriptures, I want to talk about doubt, denial, 
and what we mean by deconstruction. And there are two resources I'm depending on a lot when I go through this. One is a book by a pastor named A.J. Swoboda out of the Oregon area. It's a book, After Doubt. The other is an article by Tish Harrison Warren. We've read her book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, in our small groups. It's an article she wrote called, The Church Needs Reformation, Not Deconstruction, a really powerful article. And I'm relying on both of those resources um, as I go through this. This morning, I want to talk about when we talk about doubts and deconstruction, we'll talk about what it is, why it seems to be happening more than it's ever happened before, and when it seems to show up. Next week, we're going to talk more about what to do about it. So if you feel like we kind of don't resolve everything this morning, well, you're at Ackland. You're used to us not resolving everything. But uh, if the sermon doesn't resolve itself, uh, we'll try to do that more next week. A.J. Swoboda did campus ministry at the University of Oregon for 10 years. He pastored a church in Portland for 10 years. Now he teaches at a university in Eugene, Oregon. In his book, he, taught, he uses the metaphor for what he's talking about. He uses the metaphor of, of the Oregon Trail, which immediately, if you're a child of the 80s, you have some Oregon Trail memories coming back. So in, in the 19th century, the Oregon Trail is when settlers were trying to get through the plains, over the mountains, settle the West Coast. Okay, And it was not everybody to make it, right? A lot of settlers would kind of die on the way out there. But later, in the 80s, there was a video game depicting the Oregon Trail. I rarely do this type of thing, but show of hands if you ever played the computer game Oregon Trail. Oh my goodness. Now I know how to make us charismatic. I just talk about 80s video games and everybody has their hands in the air. This is great, okay? So, um... The video game is amazing. I remember playing it on a Commodore computer. Do you remember Commodore computers? I also remember playing it on an old Mac. But in the video game, your family was like on a wagon and you were leaving, like Missouri, I think is where you were leaving from, and you were trying to get across the plains, but then you would lose a wagon wheel, but then you would shoot deer to kind of survive. But I, I don't know about you, I would always die of dysentery. Uh, somewhere around Utah or Wyoming, anyone else this shared experience, okay, and never quite make it to Oregon, okay? So Sabonin's book talks about the Oregon Trail, and he says there is this move so often from people that are in the Midwest or maybe in the Southeast or the, the Plain States, when they're young, they graduate college, they want to move to the coast because there's this excitement about moving to the coast, the East Coast or the West Coast. And specifically, Seattle-Portland areas have been really popular in the last couple of decades, right? And so Savona says over and over again, his campus ministry in his church, he would see somebody that was raised in the Midwest or in the South move to Portland. And they came there on his first time they'd ever really left their environment. Oftentimes, they had grown up going to church. Oftentimes, they were leaving a community that had been very supportive of their faith. It was the first time out of that community. And he talked about how many people... Their faith just was unable to survive. Moving out of their comfort zone, out of the place that had encouraged their faith. And over and over again, in 20 years of ministry, the number one conversation he says he keeps having, he says it's like a new Oregon Trail. People have come to Oregon and they get made to Oregon, but they're losing their faith in the midst of it. There's amazing people in Oregon. I'm not trying to bash Oregon in any way. The couple times I've been, it was beautiful. He just talks about this sense of deconstruction that he so often sees with people that have suddenly shown up. And so many of you can point to times in your life when you left your comfort zone and how that might have been associated with reconsidering your previous beliefs. And we'll talk about that in a second. He also uses this, this phrase, 
At some point in our journey, most all Christians will go through what's called a desert of skeptical criticism. He really walked on water. He really turned the five loaves and two fishes into all that food. They really parted the Red Sea. And you start to think about those various things. And he says when it comes to the desert of skeptical criticism, you just have to go through it. It reminds me of elementary school. Man, second 80s reference of the day. Um, we would go on a bear hunt. You remember you'd go on a bear hunt and you catch it and you would get to like the river and you'd be like, we can't go around it. We can't go over it. Got to go through it. I don't know why this has come back to me suddenly. Okay. But when it comes to the desert of skeptical criticism, all of us just have to go through it at some point and to go through the process of what do I believe, why do I believe it, and where does it come out on that side? If you've never been on a bear hunt, perhaps we can do that after uh, Bible class this morning. Okay. One of the ways this comes out so often in our culture is this idea of deconstruction. This is very much a buzzword. It shows up on Twitter a lot. Um, and one of the things that I think is really important for us to do is destigmatize what's going on in deconstruction. Because deconstruction is just any time you have a previous belief, you get new information, and then you reassess your belief. And we all do that every week about a variety of things. So it not surprise us that sometimes it happens with faith. I'll give you two examples. For years, I would hear about battery-powered lawn tools um, battery-powered weed whackers, battery-powered mowers. But I was very skeptical that the battery was going to be able to, to last long enough for me to mow my yard. Okay, And I was just very wedded to gas-powered type of machinery. But then I was exposed to new information. I was exposed to people who had experience with battery-powered tools. And they're like, hey, it really works. The battery lasts an hour and 15 minutes. And now my first season ever... I have no gas-powered machinery. I've got a battery-powered mower, blower, weed whacker, wait for it, battery-powered chainsaw. I smile all Saturday morning. It's glorious, okay? Um, never smell like gas ever again, okay? I've deconstructed my belief in that and because i got new information and I've come to new types of lawn tools. Some of you use a different example. We have a number of vegetarians here at the church. And at some point in your life, you deconstructed the idea that meat was healthy or ethical, or maybe you deconstructed that it was tasty. I'm getting looks from you. I know, we have a lot of meat eaters. We love everyone, okay? We welcome all here at Ackland. Um, but you deconstructed that belief in meat. But then here comes the question. You've got to eat something. And this is the big question vegetarians have to figure out is, where am I going to get my protein? So deconstruction absent reconstruction is very unwise. Deconstruction absent reconstruction is very unwise because you got to get your protein somewhere. I got to get the yard cut somehow. I could wonder about tools all day, but in the, the day I've got to get it done. So how can we do these things wisely? When it comes to deconstruction in the Christian world, kind of some of the big trends we're seeing, we're seeing the term ex-evangelical a lot, okay? Which is always, uh, it's a take on, I used to be an evangelical, ex-evangelical, um, that term's always a little odd for those in churches of Christ because sometimes we might feel like we're part of the evangelical world. Sometimes we might not feel like we're part of the evangelical world. We kind of have an odd relationship uh, with that subculture. But it's one of the most prominent forms of deconstruction we see. People that are saying, at least since the 1980s, what I've seen from that subculture is no longer how I identify. 
And a lot of them are trying to figure out how they identify. A lot of them are moving to more kind of mainline Protestant streams of faith. Some of them have even transitioned to something like a, a spiritual but not religious type of realm, which is another big buzzword we see in the deconstruction space. And spiritual but not religious is more of an eclectic type of thing, more of an a la carte spirituality. A little Christianity here, a little Islam here, a little Native American spirituality here, maybe a little Wiccan on the side for certain holidays, and you kind of put it together. One of the main, uh, like a movie book that kind of depicts that, if you ever read or saw Eat, Pray, Love, like that would be like a big synopsis of kind of like the spiritual but not religious movement. Those are the streams going on around us. And so how can we navigate this well? How can we navigate what Thomas had to navigate in the story? One of the things that I want us to see is that the deconstruction-reconstruction phenomena goes on throughout the entire Bible. For those of you that remember, early on in the lockdown, when we were worshiping outside, I did a sermon series on lament psalms. And one of the patterns that I mentioned in the lament psalms, one of the ones that the scholar Walter Brueggemann points out a lot, is many psalms deal with this rhythm of orientation, disorientation, reorientation. My life was going like this, then the valley happened, and then I came back out of the valley on the other side, and I arrived at the mountain. So many psalms go through that progress. Orientation, disorientation, reorientation. And really, that's what we're talking about here with deconstruction and reconstruction. You're going to go through so many different experiences in your life, no matter your age. And how can your faith survive that and adapt, hold on to the things that are unchanging, but then tweak on the things that need to be changed for your experience in your walk with Jesus? And how can that happen well? So that's what it is. Secondly, why does this thing seem to be happening more than it's ever happened before? I feel like almost every single person I know is rethinking faith on like a huge level, rethinking faith. And experts think this type of thing is happening more than it's ever happened before. In some ways, it's always happened, but it's happened more than it has before. And there's at least two reasons why it seems to be happening more. Number one, we're experiencing an information explosion. So deconstruction happens when you get new information, similar to the, the metaphor of the battery-powered, gas-powered lawnmower, when you're exposed to new information, you rethink what's going on. And no people group in all of human history has been exposed to as much information as we are now exposed to on a daily basis. So this is because of the internet and this is because of globalism, okay? We're exposed to so much information. And one of the things that happened, it's very similar to what happened in the Protestant Reformation where we no longer trusted the expert because of the printing press, everyone could read for themselves. So there was, a de, uh, there was a decline of what we meant by expert, and we saw kind of a popular level truth come out. And I want to be very clear as I say this, because I don't want to, well, I want to upset people, but I want to upset people for the right reasons. Um, um, experts sometimes oversell their expertise and there are times that experts need to be called out, for sure, right? And yet one of, one of the weaknesses of the decline of the expert is stupid things begin to happen. Okay, so when we had the pandemic, one of the reasons why we saw the decline of the expert is did you notice that everybody that had the internet 
suddenly understood COVID and knew how to treat COVID and knew how to keep themselves from getting COVID, right? Now, once again, were there times that the experts may be oversold? Sure, absolutely. We should call experts to account. But there were so many times where every single person thought they were an expert. And you've had this experience. We have a lot of educators out there, right? You've had experience. We teach uh, primary or secondary school where a parent thinks they're the expert. And you're like, I, I mean, you're an expert on your child, but I'm an expert on education. I went to school for this, right? You're telling me how to do this. Those of you that have been computer programmers for years, does it ever chafe you when somebody goes to a boot camp for three months and they know as much about computer programming as you do? Those of you that are health professionals, do you like it when the patient comes to you and they tell you why they're sick and what they're sick with? Okay? I once did this to a practitioner. I told them what my injury was and they just smiled and said, yeah, that's not what's wrong with you. And, and they kind of ch- and I said, yeah, I guess, I guess you went to school a long time for this. And they said, yep. <laughs> I was talking to my brother recently. He's a pilot for Spirit Airlines. And uh, he was talking about how they have, you have to have two pilots in a plane. And he's like, I know they're coming for us. Like, I know they're going to want to just do robot airplanes. And they're like, why are we paying two pilots when we can have one? Okay. And he said, I spent 20 years knowing how to fly. Planes do not fly themselves. This isn't an automated car. It's different. And you know what I was thinking as my brother was complaining to me about that? I'm like, man, you're lucky they're just now doing it to you. They've done it to my profession for 500 years, okay, since the Protestant Reformation. Everybody's an expert, okay? And this is going to sound more arrogant than, than I mean for it to sound, but I've studied the Bible my entire life, and I'm constantly amazed. Somebody reads one article on Reddit and they think they know more about it than I do. Okay? And I'm wrong a lot. And when I am, call me to account. Many of you are pretty good at this already. Okay? <laughs> but like, like, everyone thinks they're an expert. And not only does everyone think there's an expert, there's a pressure to be an expert. So I regularly interact with 18 to 21 year olds that feel like they have to be an expert on so many things. And I would just be like, slow down, bro. Like, you don't have to know all. And they feel so much pressure. Specifically females, and I haven't figured out exactly the gender difference on this, but specifically see the pressure a lot more with females feeling like they need to be an expert in so many different things, which leads to the second reason why this is happening. Besides information explosion, expressive individualism, specifically in American culture, expressive individualism. We used to live in more of an honor culture where success was determined by continuing on what had been passed to you. Success was measured by your ability to continue on with what had been passed to you. And now success is determined by charting your own path. Let me give you an example. Frequently I run into people I went to high school with. They say, what are you up to? And I say, I'm a preacher. And I said, they say, where are you a preacher at? And I say, the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. And as soon as Church of Christ rings out, they look at me. Well, cool, man. And oftentimes, they kind of feel sorry for me, right? Now, I'm very proud uh, of, of our heritage. I'm conflicted about some of it, like many of us are, but I'm very proud of our heritage. But they would have said the same thing to me about grown-up Baptist and was still a Baptist preacher, about grown-up Catholic and was a Catholic priest. It'd be odd with a family, but you know what I'm saying, okay? Like, they would say that no matter what because 
We are suspicious of people that do what they were raised to do. It doesn't seem authentic in our culture. Because of expressive individualism, we're like, you should leave your family and completely chart your path. Okay? And what's going to happen for this? I hate to say this is going to ruin some of you's more. Okay. So we raise our kids under expressive individualism, and they're going to come to you someday with the direct opposite theological views, or this is going to hurt some of you even more, the direct opposite political views. And it's going to like, what did I go wrong? Okay? You did nothing wrong. The water that we live in is expressive individualism, and success is measured by departing from your upbringing. Okay? And we also, when you put that alongside the information exposure and the breakdown of the expert, these are really problemsome waters that we have to navigate. When does this type of thing normally happen? And I'm about to wrap up here. Three different time periods where this type of thing seems to happen. One is when you begin to have different types of experiences than you've ever happened before. Deacon, I see deconstruction happen a lot with my Christian students when they suddenly get a best friend that's a Muslim. And guess what? It's the nicest Muslim you've ever met. And they're like, boy, their Ramadan looks a lot like my Lent. But they're looking towards Mecca five times a day, and that doesn't seem to be what I was like. And they start to ask questions. Or you encounter someone that has very different relationship practices, very different types of romantic relationships than you were kind of raised to think was, was according to your values. But once again, they're a really nice person. And it makes you wonder about a lot of those things. So experience drives a lot of deconstruction. Second, transition drives a lot of it. When you move to a new place, when you go off for college, you just move for a job. When you live in a different place, when you get a new job with different people, when you get married, a lot of people go through various types of deconstruction when they get married or when you get divorced. And oftentimes deconstruction can happen when your parents die. Because oftentimes, maybe that's the first time you've really felt freedom to maybe explore different types of views. And then last, number three, deconstruction and doubt happens a lot around crisis. Cancer diagnosis, um, aging parents and that being difficult to, to manage. Your grown children and how their lives are going. Or certainly what we all experienced with the pandemic. A lot of doubt and deconstruction happened that because it was such a big crisis. So returning to my student's question as I close here, my student looked at me and he desperately, I mean, he wants to believe. And he said, can I just choose to believe? What we learned from the passage this morning is doubting is not desirable. It's not what we aspire to. Jesus doesn't want Thomas to doubt. But also, Jesus doesn't scold Thomas. Jesus is not mean to Thomas. Jesus spends time with Thomas. It very much reminds me of the story in Mark chapter 9 where the guy comes up to Jesus and says, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Jesus provides a welcome and hospitable space for the doubter. And yet at the same time, doubt's not what we aspire to. So what this place has been for a long time, because of those that have gone before us, is what we want to continue to be. This is a welcoming place for someone struggling with doubt. And we will not, we have not, and we will not stigmatize doubt here at Apple. And yet we proclaim, doubt is not what we aspire to, and doubt is not edgy or cool. Trust me. 
And you know this as you're going through it. It's, you don't wake up and be like, I'm so glad I'm in a period of doubt now. This is so edgy. Like, it's not what we aspire to. It's not what we want. As we've said so many times, doubt is often a very cynical type of thing, and cynicism is not a fruit of the Spirit. Jesus did not ask us to like him. Jesus did not ask us to agree with him. And Jesus did not ask us to understand him. And so how do I answer the question, is belief a choice? If by belief we mean understand, then I don't think you can choose to understand. There are things I want to understand that I just don't understand. You can't choose to understand something. But if by belief we mean submission, if by belief we mean follow, then I think we can choose to believe. There are so many days... I do not understand the Christian faith. There are so many days that I do not understand Jesus. But what I try to do is submit and to follow. Jesus is not a math problem. Jesus is not a science problem. Jesus is not a problem to be solved, but a person to know. And just as Thomas came to know him in this passage, our prayer for all of us is that we may come to know the risen Jesus. Let us stand together and sing. Oh, how kindly hast thou led me, heavenly Father, day by day. Found my dwelling, clothed and fed me, furnished friends to cheer my way. Didst thou bless me, didst thou chasten
It's not despite his open wounds that Thomas believed. It's precisely because Jesus was both living and unhealed in that moment that Thomas believed. And so that really impacted me and gave me, I think, freedom to, to um, wrestle with some hard questions that I hadn't felt freedom to wrestle with before. And it also helped me understand that the body of Christ may not be perfect, but it can still do the work that God has called it to do in the world. As the body of Christ, we are called to breathe faith into each other and into the world. Yet we confess that his body is broken. We confess that so often we haven't been the witness that we are called to be. We should constantly seek healing and reconciliation in the church. And we should strive to better reflect Jesus to the world around us. But let's remember that in the act of breaking bread together in communion, we model giving one another faith and life through the broken body of Christ. His power is made perfect, not in our perfection, but in our weakness as a church. And by his wounds, we are healed. Church, this is his body broken for us. May his body help our unbelief. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for the gift of the body of Jesus, for his physical body, for his resurrected body, for the body of Christ that is the church, and for his body that is the bread. Let this bread nourish us with faith and strengthen us to show your body to our neighbors and our community this week. In Jesus we pray. Amen.
ever grateful for the gift of Jesus' blood poured out for us. Let this sacramental meal strengthen us to be agents of your love and grace and embolden us to love and serve you this week. Amen. Five hundred twenty-five. Oh! 
churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from him who is and was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom, 
and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us together this morning to worship you. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is and was and is to come. We confess, Lord, that this is a mystery to us. Your greatness is beyond our understanding, and yet we choose to follow you. As we return to our homes and our work and our schools this week, we ask that you help us to walk with you, open our eyes to your work in the world around us, and in our own hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Small groups, 
Today is the last Sunday for that. If you are in a small group um, or have been in a small group, this last year has been a little different um, and we're gonna be breaking for the summer. So thank you for all who have been participating and especially to those who have been leading because that is not an easy job. Um, Wednesday gathering is gonna be in the Conway's yard this week, which apparently will not smell like gasoline. So bring your dinner and a chair for fellowship and Devo from 5.30 to 7. And if, like me, you always forget a chair and think you're going to be sitting on the ground, they usually have extras. Um, okay, we have notes in the back for Paul Hamilton uh, to encourage the educators. Um, there's even a little handy, like, if you don't know what to write, write this um, guide. Um, so pick one of those up and also mark your calendars because we are going to be doing another Acklin Unplugged. And if you don't know what Acklin Unplugged is, it's very exciting. It means no uh, video games, no phones, only like minimal to moderate levels of eye communication and lots and lots of board games. Um, so we are, Jonathan Gibson's heading that up. I think Matt Perkins is also involved in, in getting that going. If you have games that you want to add, they're getting together a game library. Um, so get in touch with them. Um, if you don't have games that you want to add and you don't know what to do or you just want to learn a new board game or play one that you've played before, it's, you don't have to stay the whole time. You can come play one game or you can come watch a game and make fun of everyone who's playing the game. That's fine too. Um, okay, we have lots and lots of people to pray for. I'm going to say names. I'm just going to go through the list. Um, Christy Wagner, Chuck Hickman, Shelly Green, Shelly Green, Val Prill, Nancy, Shelly, Aiden, Brett, Pam, Debbie, Crawford, Aussie, and then we want to make sure that we remember each week um, and all week long our missionaries, Jason and Emily and their families, our, uh, Lindsay Cranks and her family, Manuel Perdomo and his family, and Hiawatha Jones and Byron and Shnezana and their families. Um, Chris Lovingood is continually working with Nations Ministry, but also managing a fund along with three Ukrainians for um, relief efforts. In addition, his family, his wife's family, um, is being taken care of largely right now in Poland and could use some assistance if you can do that. That would be really, really welcome. Um, we have a lot of events going on. Mark your calendars. There's a lovely list on the back. Put, them, put those things in your Google Calendar. Put them on your paper calendar. Um, write them on the back of your hand. Whatever you need to do. Um, because it is, um, it is so important um, in, in each and every season uh, to, to be together and to participate. You don't have to do everything. But... Uh, we love to encourage each other, and so those are fun things to do. Um, all right, 
There are donuts, I believe, and coffee downstairs, and close. You've been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue, the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon slash slash org. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.